Welcome to the first episode of Pride Reads, where you'll get to hear selected queer lit read for your pleasure. My name is Kevin Clare, and I'll be your uh, host for this podcast journey. Our first episode is a powerful one. It's from Jen Slumack's debut novel, Soul, Not Skin, and is inspired by true events. As a queer woman longing for a faith community, Jen has found her ministry in storytelling. As a stand-up comedian, a keynote inspirational speaker, an entertaining educator, and an author, of course. This novel is inspired by the life of a young girl who loved God, more than anything else, and abused alcohol to survive a world that told her gays aren't allowed to. This is Chapter 2. When the safe places in my life became suspect and telling the truth became a riddle, bigger secrets developed. Things that happened at home were not to be talked about outside of home. I don't know that there was ever a formal sit-down to explain these things, but I could feel the rules increasing and safety seemed dependent on figuring them out. When I couldn't become any smaller in a corner of my flowered wallpaper bedroom at seven years old, I decided that I had no choice. I had to tug open the sliding door and reveal the source of breaking dishes and whispered apologies. Mommy was in the chair, telling me through tears and snotty gasps that everything was fine and to go back to bed, but my father grabbed me by my shoulder and we left the house. I was in my pajamas. We got in the blue car and went backwards, fast, out of the driveway. I remember my view from below the dashboard. The window was dark blue with blurry lights as we drove. Inside and outside, it felt cold. Suddenly, the car stopped. Dad told me to lock my door and he'd be right back. I watched him disappear from my side and into the corner store. My eyes never left the door that swallowed him. Within moments, he emerged, holding a fountain drink, and he threw away a small paper bag. I was excited that he got us a Pepsi, and I asked him for a sip. He said nothing, holding his drink away from me. He took a long pull on his red straw, exhaled loudly, and started the car. His breath was warm and sour when he leaned over to kiss my forehead and then shook his head. I sat quietly beside him, grateful for my time with him, but confused because I felt scared. When we finally pulled into the driveway again, the blue car hit our basketball post and jolted me from my seat. I looked up at Dad to find his face squished up as he put the car in reverse and backed up a little. We were finally stopped, and he took a deep breath. We both stared straight ahead and sat in silence for a moment. He opened his door. He put one leg out to the concrete before he turned back to look at me, patted my hand, and simply said, Home. I watched him close the door and his body disappeared from his driver window toward the back of the car. I sat there in the quiet darkness of night as the car made clicking noises before it fell asleep. I wished I was allowed to tell Dad that I could feel his broken heart. I wished I could kiss his face with my arms wrapped tight around his neck, but he looked so sad and angry. I wished I could sit in the car for the rest of my life because his hand touched my hand. I believe he told me he loved me through that touch. The passenger car door opened, 
and my mother reached in to retrieve me. Are you okay, honey? Let's go inside and get you to bed. Are you okay? I'm tired, is all I said. I wished I could tell her that I felt both of their broken hearts. I wished I could tell her that everyone and everything felt sad. My left hand grabbed hers and my right thumb found its way into my mouth to keep the truth from coming out. She tucked me in with a smile and told me that she loved me. And Daddy loved me. And she sang to me like she always did. We said our prayers and asked God to take care of us. I felt nervous inside, but we behaved like everything was okay. I went to sleep. When my parents divorced, they split friends. I learned that friends can divorce too. It seemed like all of their friends still loved me. They just didn't love my mom anymore. I didn't know who I could talk to without upsetting things, so I became progressively quieter and existed more inside than out. In the divvying up of friendships and belongings, I believed that God had gone with Dad. When I mentioned the friends who went with Dad, it hurt Mom's feelings. But I looked around and didn't recognize anything or anyone anymore. I felt always anxious and unsure, and I was angry with my parents. As security and structure dissolved at home, school became my safe place. I was at school when my principal pulled me out of class to go downtown and talk to a man about my family. He was called a counselor. Mom and Dad told me that they were getting a divorce, which meant that they still loved me and my brothers, but they didn't love each other anymore. I would get to visit them both. The whole time it seemed that I was being told or talked at. Everything sounded like Charlie Brown's aunt, and then suddenly it was my turn. The counselor smiled and leaned in towards small me in the big chair. Someone asked, is that okay, Jenny? It didn't feel like a real question, so I didn't answer. I stared out the giant glass window behind the man who said my family was ending. I saw an airplane and people working on a building across the way. I wondered what they were working on. I wondered what they were talking about. I imagined being outside instead of inside that room. I imagined it so hard that I believed it, leaving my body in the big chair surrounded by the strange man and my parents' expired love for each other. My mind wandered in search of somebody, anybody, who might have a different reality that I could join. I believe somewhere in or around that moment, in that office, in that chair, looking out that window, It hit me what was about to happen. Everything got goofed up for a while in our family. All the sameness had ended. We had no routine. No mealtimes or bedtimes or chores. There was no allowance. I had been sure it was temporary. Until then. As I stared out that window, I went far inside myself. I believe fear and grief began to fully consume me. My parents didn't want me. I wasn't enough. It sounded like I was in a wind tunnel. Everything disappeared and faded away except my laser focus on how I had to behave well. I was nine years old. White-knuckled, I clung to his jacket as he slammed the side door of the minivan shut. His impatient patting on my back was clearly one of, Okay, enough now. Go, go. I tried not to look too desperate as my eyes pleaded with him to put me back in the car and take me with him. 
My mother watched from the stairs where she gathered us back after our weekends with Dad. If I looked too sad, it would make Mom sad and she'd want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk to Mom about Dad or my stepmom or my sister because every detail I shared broke her heart. She smiled and pretended she was happy for him and for me, but sometimes at times like that I felt like I could choke on her sadness literally suffocate on all of the invisible feelings and words unspoken. I'd skip up the steps, wave goodbye to Dad, smile at Mom, and stifle my tears. I would run up to my room, lock the door, and blare my music as high as the volume could take it. My favorite song at that time was With a Child's Heart by the Jackson 5. I made an audio tape of that song that repeated over and over again on both sides so that I could listen to it for hours. Michael's voice put my insides back together in place. I felt God when I heard that song. Something about it touched what felt true, and I could breathe again. I'd play it and stare out the window. Heavy doses of Michael's tender and knowing voice, the innocent lyrics the delicate leaves blowing in the wind outside, validated things I felt but couldn't see. Music and voices are invisible, but oh, so powerful. They move me. Wind is invisible, but it's real because it makes the leaves dance. These things kept me tender. They were obvious proof that even things I can't see can be significant in my life. Long before I could articulate this concept, Deep down from an early age, I knew it. Music, story, wind, and trees kept me from turning to cold. When I was young, I wrote on anything I could find. Words have leaked out of me my whole life. I'd spill them everywhere, unabashedly revealing my thoughts, until I learned to contain them, gained the discipline for silence. I was eight when Dad gifted me my first journal. It may as well have been a bucket my parents bought to catch spills, and it worked. I dripped every thought, feeling, desire, and anger onto those pages. Every prayer, every feeling of confusion or moment of happiness. One particular happiness confessed in that journal was how much I loved my teacher. I would proclaim my love for her over and over in words or drawings. I sketched. It made mom nervous, and she told me to stop saying that so much. She said it was okay to like a teacher, but loving one so much was strange. Shamefully, I went through my whole journal and added, like a sister, to every declaration of I love my teacher. I didn't have a sister at the time, but I had brothers whom I loved a lot, so I guessed that love directed at siblings was acceptable. Young people have so little reference from which to make sense of their lives. By default, I learned not to talk about my feelings. I crossed out every so much that I'd written, as in, I love my babysitter so much. One of my most prominent childhood memories is going through that private journal and editing my truth into fiction. I've always loved so big that it nearly swallowed me whole. As a little girl, I found objects or people of affection. There was a babysitter, a few teachers, and TV stars, too. It's always killed me how ready the world is to dote on a little boy and girl in preschool who take to each other. The adults laugh and coo at how adorable they are and 
how little so-and-so has a girlfriend or a boyfriend. The speculation begins about whether they will get married one day. We are so quick to pair off children into couples, suggesting that we can derive more adoration as a couple than being alone. I have always enjoyed going to school. I like learning new things and exploring information. I felt safe at school, most of the time. Twice during the elementary years, there was gossip about peers who wanted to fight me. The threats were both for being teacher's pet. The nights between those days held me in terror. Covers pulled up below my nose body stiff in anticipation of a morning bus ride that never seemed to come. Only one of those two rumors came to be true. Gratefully, when the time to fight came, I'd managed to get myself near the school bus before the crowd gathered. There was some intimidating talk by my counterpart, calling me names and letting me know that I wasn't special. The crowd loved this, demonstrated by the chatter and the clapping among a few. The kids who were outsiders like me, at that moment, they clutched their books tightly to their chests, shoulders raised to their ears in silence, hoping I would do something amazing to put this girl in her place and eradicate all teasing from this day forward. The pressure was on, and I was keenly aware that while I could see the bus and its open door, a ring of students prevented me a clear path to safety. I also realized that with this many students gathered, it was only a short matter of time before the principal or a teacher would come to break it up. The cheering and jeering had my adrenaline worked up, and while I wasn't the type to puff out my chest, I felt ready to take everything that hurt inside and hurl it at her if she got too close. She did get too close and I felt every ounce of my past compliant behavior gather into a storm of fury. I shoved her with years of anguish, and clear across the circle she flew. When she landed against the far side of the wall of children, it had grown silent. Scores of startled eyes, frozen wide, fixed on my red face that now had tears streaming down my cheeks. Leave me alone! I screamed from the tips of my toes. It felt like the words and emotion behind them landed on top of her, holding her down. I stood for a moment foreign to my own skin and power before I quietly gathered my things and turned toward the bus. When I did, the crowd parted, and I was afforded the first choice of seats on the bus ride home that day. As the other kids took seats around me, they jostled my shoulders and told me how cool it was to see me push the bully. Everyone wanted to congratulate me for fighting her. Had I seen the look on her face? Nobody ever stood up to her. I wanted to be left alone. I meant what I said. I wanted to be alone. It didn't feel good that I had pushed her. It didn't feel good that I had unleashed the place where all of my anger slept. It didn't feel good that everyone thought she was a monster. We were both just girls who saw secret parts of ourselves reflected in the other, and neither of us was ready for the world to see those parts. Jen's strong voice can be enjoyed in her book, Soul Not Skin. As an Australian who has visited the US several times, the strength of the Christian faith to permeate society 
In a way, it doesn't in say, well, Australia, New Zealand, most of Europe, both fascinates me and troubles me. So to hear Jen Slumack's journey to make peace with her faith as she grew up in a place where it's so prevalent is refreshing. Thank you, Jen, for today's reading. Join me, Kevin Clare, for the next instalment of Pride Reads for more Queer Lit, read for your pleasure. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>